Welcome to the Healing Place podcast, a space filled with inspirational stories of hope, along with practical advice for your healing journey. Your host is Terry Welbrock, trauma warrior, writer, speaker, blogger, therapy dog handler, and founder of the Sammy's Bundles of Hope Project. As a survivor and a thriver, Terry's mission is to shine the light of hope into the world by interviewing insightful guests from across the globe. Please stay tuned at the end of today's interview as we honor our sponsors. The Healing Place podcast is a fiscally sponsored project of Fractured Atlas. Now, here's your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Wellrock, and super excited to have with me today Shelly Pillip. Yeah. I'll edit that out. <laughs> it looks more difficult than it really is. It's kind of macky. It looks more, you know, harder than it really is. And I just asked about it, too. That's what's Yeah, but that's okay because it happens all the time. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So, Shelly Pinamaki, and I'm, I'm just thrilled to have you here. So welcome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And um, I was, you know, looking through and looking at the healing place and going, oh, this just speaks to me just the same types of things that I'm trying to do is, is help bring healing and hope and, you know, help people get back up on their feet. And it's like we just meshed. And so I was so excited. And so I'm just so delighted to be here with you and, and like-minded, strong women trying to help heal the world. I love that. Yes. Great, great way to put it because, and, and it's so funny because when I first received information about you and stalked your page, seekinghope.com, because hope is such a key component of this healing. It, it's part of what I do. I, I have a hope for healing newsletter and yes. um, I talk about hope often. And so I love, I love that seeking hope because it's so many people are out there seeking it. Well, and, and hope is a belief that there is change, that there is an opportunity. And that's what hope is, that there, there's a belief that something can change, something can get better. It may not go everything, but there is a hope and there is a step. And when you get that first little step of hope that changes something, then there's opportunity for another one and an opportunity for another one. And, and that's what hope really is, is that, that feeling that everything is going to happen and, and that there's a possibility for better. Yes. And that's part of the reason why um, we used hope in part of in our ministry name. Um, seeking was the other thing is that hope just doesn't land on us. Every once in a while, we get those really good feelings, but sometimes we have to reach out and go find it. And if you um, take a look at seekinghope.com uh, and you'll see our logo, it's actually um, a bridge. And the bridge goes from the blue to the red to activate. So as we're kind of meandering and, and I do this whole series about building a bridge over our traumas, building a bridge over the crisis, because when there is a death or a loss or your crisis, a loss of a job, or, you know, um, talked with a teenager recently who lost a scholarship to college, got hurt. Yeah. And that was a devastating, that was the major crisis in his life is living, losing the scholarship. But he always had the scholarship at one time. So it's a part of his life now that's missing, but it doesn't mean we can't go back and visit. So we talk about building bridges across those holes in our life 
and we can go visit them. We just don't want to get down back into the hole. So we build these bridges that we can go over and visit them and realize, wow, but now as you get to the other side of that bridge, there's so much more beauty and there's another reason why that bad thing might have happened, but everything can turn around and be for good. Oh my gosh, you're choking me up. I mean, this is beautiful only because I, I'm so resonating with your words. I have a, one of my biggest fears when I went through 25 years of severe panic attacks was bridges. <laughs> <laughs> and so this visual that you're giving me, I seriously have goosebumps on the left <laughs> arm. Like I, I have oh, everywhere. No. Yeah, it's so cool because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how terrified I was to go back into those traumas, to go back into that. But I had to cross that bridge. Yeah. As scary as it was to go back in so that I could get to, you know, what I call this, you know, into the light, into the healing. You um, have to be able to learn how to do that. Otherwise it's this giant elephant that's in the room. That's constantly going, is it coming out now? Is, is, Oh, is it over there? And you're, you're, so you're walking on eggshells through your life, wondering when is it going to jump out and get you? So why don't we build a bridge and some scaffolding around those things. I, I talk about scaffolding too. I, I, my father was a construction worker. So that's kind of how I grew up. I grew up in a very male dominant environment. And so those things make a lot of sense to me. And when you're trying to build these things, it's like, going, you know what? They're always going to be a part of your life. You will always have had a panic attacks. You may be on the other end of that, but you always had them. And they were part of who you are. And now you've come over this and can look back and bring so much hope and healing to others about that. So why not go back and visit that so that you have that empathy or that sympathy for someone while they're in the middle of that. And the only way we can do that is to build a safe bridge over the top of it so that we can visit it, remember, and then help that other person get out of theirs and start the building blocks to build their bridge across their deepest pit. Yes. Beautiful. And two things popped in my head. One, I want to talk about, you know, what it is to build that bridge and in, in, in what you believe the materials needed, basically. And then two, it, how, how faith, you know, as we talked, faith kept, the word faith kept coming into my mind and how that intermingles with hope. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, so I come from a crisis, I'm a crisis interventionist. And I have, you know, all the certificates and all the other trainings and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I became a chaplain. And part of that reason was that we are made of, of, of three parts, the body, the mind, the soul, or body, mind, and spirit. And if we don't take care of all three of those, then the, the stool with the three legs is always going to fall over. And if we don't take care of all of those parts... And we've got, we live in a society that takes care of this physical part, you know, I'll say, well, but, right. <laughs> but then we have, we have, yeah, I'm not, we're not going to go onto that soapbox of uh, right. insurance. And That'd be a whole oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I just, you know, and, and we do have mental health care, no matter how much it needs help as well. Right. So that emotional part, but that spiritual part is really difficult. And as a chaplain, I have the opportunity to, preach, not really preach, but to minister into people's lives, regardless of what their faith base is. I happen to be a Christian and I follow that for myself, but I have um, been with so many others in all different religions. Um, as a chaplain, I'm actually associated with the San Diego Sheriff's Department. And I was on scene during the Habat of Poway 
um, shooting that took place that was in the news, and I was the chaplain on scene Aww. because it happens to be my area of expertise, number one, and it happens to be out of my local area. And to minister to this Jewish um, synagogue and these people were just so breathtakingly wonderful, and they needed that spiritual ministry and to be respected um, because it was on their high holy Sabbath day. Right. So they needed to have their, their things respected and what they were doing as this investigation and all of this was going on. And so we were able to bring in and, and to care for that spiritual part of who they are. Um, and when I did the study in the crisis intervention and became an interventionist, it didn't really touch on the spiritual side. And I thought, if we are really a triad person, how do we take the, in all these practical tools of how do we help bring healing and hope into their new future? Because a crisis intervention happens at the midst of that crisis or within, you know, hours or just, you know, days, right. not this long-term psychotherapy. Cause I am not a, you know, psychiatrist or psychotherapist. That's not what I do. And so when we go back and try and, and heal that part, I realized that that was missing from all of my training. And so I started to go, wait a minute, there's got to be. So I connected with, you know, seminaries and Bible colleges and other areas trying to figure out how do we pull this all together? And that's kind of the reason why Seeking Hope existed was to marry both the crisis intervention with a faith-based community. And then rather than being a pastor of a Christian church, it was like, no, I want to be a chaplain because I want to cover all. I just happen to be Christian, but I want to make sure that everybody that I've come in contact with or that I'm called to a scene to minister to, because ministering is not a religious word. People get that really confused. You actually look it up in the dictionary. It means to care for one another. Oh, yeah. So if I'm ministering to someone, I just want to care for them. And whatever their spiritual foundation is, then bring that healing into that arena and use part of that triad to help bring hope so that they can heal both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Yes, beautiful. And I love that idea of, of ministry, um, and, and the thought popped in and out of my head. But, but the idea of honoring, that was the word I was looking for, honoring one another's, I, I talk about this a lot, and honoring one another's journeys. And yeah. that's beautiful that you've brought this to light to me, for me, because yet yeah, that includes honoring one another's spiritual journey. It does. We're, wherever. we're all different and, and we can't force one on the other. You know, it's, it's like wherever you are at at that time and particularly in crisis intervention, wherever they are at at that time, that's where you got to meet them where they are. Yeah. And you can provide the tools and the avenues. So a crisis, I like to call myself a rent a friend. Um, <laughs> I, I, I show up. <laughs> that's the best explanation. I can say I'm a rent a friend. You know, I'm, I'm there in the middle of the worst possible day ever but I know how to respond. And that's, you know, that's kind of what Seeking Hope was done was to teach people how to respond in someone else's worst day. Right. And that was kind of the idea. So, you know, as a renter friend, I'm just there to help them kind of shore them up, put them kind of back together as much as we possibly can with all the wounds. Um, I like to uh, compare it to, let's talk about um, the EMTs, right? The, the yeah. guys that show up you call 911, the fire department and the you know ambulance drivers and, and all of those guys, right? They show up on the scene. Their job is not to heal that person. Their job is to patch them up, life-saving, 
make sure they're not going to die on the spot, right? Patch them up. They're not longer being stabilized is the real yes. key word there. Stabilize them and then send them off to the hospital. So I'm not going to perform surgery on somebody. No, and neither are they. They're going to send them off to be taken care of. So the people that I come alongside, I'm just trying to stabilize them. And a lot of people, just like um, when the fire department shows up, sometimes they got a bad cut, but once they get the bleeding stuff and they clean it up, they're going, oh, you know, it's a stitch or two, or maybe it's not even that, but yeah, that's okay. And they can go on, but some people need to go to the hospital. And that's the same thing that I just like, I provide opportunities saying, these are some resources or some avenues that you can go to to get long-term healing. Yeah. Because a lot of really good psychologists and psychiatrists, psychotherapists, they know that they're not really good on the spot in the middle of the blood and the guts and the gore. Right. But they do a great job of helping in the long term. I do really good in the blood and the guts and the gore, but I'm not the one you want to talk to for the long term because I don't have that patience for that. I'm there, you know, let's get together, let's pull it, you know, find your resources, shore you up, bring in the people that you need to support you, and then figure out what a plan is. And then go, here's your plan. And it's wonderful getting to know you. I'm sorry I had to know you under these circumstances. And now you're in a stable place. Move forward. Yeah. And that's kind of what I, what I do and what I try to teach people to do. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, again, you know, my, my mind's going, ah, like I have a hundred questions because it's, um, yeah, that's powerful. It's powerful imagery um, and phenomenal comparisons because that's exactly right is when you're there in the moment or just after the moment, I guess. Right. Uh, but what a powerful, powerful resource that is for someone who has been through a traumatic uh, event. Um, yeah, we, we just lose. I mean, shock is a wonderful thing. It is a God given gift. Right. Um, the problem we let shock go too long or it gets too intense, you know, then that's a problem, but it's just like everything else, right. In moderation. Um, but shock is a beautiful gift. It, it, you, you go into this numb state of you can't answer questions. You can't do it because your brain is protecting yourself. Right. So that you don't go off and do something dumb or do something stupid. That's going to injure yourself or others in the midst of doing that because you don't know. And that's why when someone comes from the outside into a situation, I'd rather not know the people and, you know, seeking hope kind of came out of my own pain and my own things that took place. Um, we are at, let's see, it's 2020. So it'll be not, it was, not, it was eight years at Christmas that we lost my sister um, in a horrible, um, it was a kidnap, murder and torture um, oh situation. Goodness. And the people that came into our lives um, that very moment and that day were so destructive, no matter that they were the closest people to my sister. I mean, childhood best friends were calling on the phone. There was, there was a lot of things that took place that were kind of really weird um, to the point that, you know, my nephews were missing and my, the police told us to stay put. And um, I was standing in the kitchen with my mom because she's, you know, calling me saying, your sister's been shot. You need to come here because we're staying here. They can't find, you know, my nephews. And we're standing in the kitchen there and not knowing because we didn't know anything other than what the police told us to do. We get a phone call from one of her very best friends that says, how can you possibly just be sitting there? And she starts berating my mother on the phone. Oh, my God. And it's on speaker. And because we don't know anything. And my mom is starting to, to lose it and she's screaming at her. And I just, I just reach over and, and hang the phone up. 
because you don't want to believe that it really happened. Right. And that's that shock. You're like, well, no, this isn't real. This isn't true. And I'm not going there. I mean, I should have known when I got the phone call, you know, I live about 30 minutes from my parents' house and I get the phone call and I should have known then she's asked me to come to her house, not to a hospital, but you know, I can look back and see that. But at that moment, I, I can't, I'm just praying on the way driving to my parents' house. So people respond in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And we, what we call that is a secondary injury. So what was happening is we were starting to get bombarded. It ended up being on social media before we were officially told. I mean, it was a nightmare. Oh my goodness. And it was because people don't know how to respond. They're in pain and they want to reach out and it's, they don't mean it. They're not trying to be vicious or cruel or whatever, but they are. And so her murder was really horrific and bad but the how everyone else treated us in the process made it that much worse. And, you know, and then I would get told, well, you weren't that close to her anyway, so you don't have a reason to be upset. And it's like, I'm sorry, what? You know, so a lot of those things were going on and I realized this should not happen. And it, because there was no crisis intervention, there was no, how do you navigate something this horrible? And people don't know how to respond. I said, well, if anybody knew that what they were doing is making it that much worse, they wouldn't do it, but they don't know any better. Yes. And so that's where Seeking Hope came out going, well, if I could teach people and if I could teach organizations and if I could teach companies to have an emotional response team that says, okay, when the bad really does happen, how are you going to respond? Right. We have a lot of workplace violence that happens and it's like everybody's concentrating on preventing it, but you know, it's not, it's still going to happen. Right. So what is your plan for after it does happen? Do you have a plan? Do you know how to help those people in the, those beginning first 24 hours? What is the corporate plan? What is the school plan? You've got an evacuation for a fire drill. You know what to do with the fire happens. Is there very many fighters in schools? No, but they know what to do because they've got a plan. But we don't have an emotional response plan for when something really bad happens, whether it's a bunch of coworkers that gets a diagnosis of terminal cancer and she's going to be gone in three months. How do you emotionally support that team of coworkers? And I was flabbergasted and in awe that there is nothing out there. It doesn't exist. Right. And so I went, okay, Lord, this is what you've called me to do in the middle of all of this and experiencing my own pain. How do we now move forward with this? And so it took, it took quite a bit of time to, you know, heal myself. It was about 18 months through the trial and through other things. And then now being here, um, eight years later going, this is what God's given me to do. How do we help people? Because there were, our family still is divided and frustrated and in pain because of the response of other people and how we approached each other in the situation, there's still damage there because we didn't know how to talk to each other. Yeah. And that just reminds me of a conversation I had recently with another guest about this being a trauma informed world and that we aren't cookie cutter. There aren't cookie cutter solutions that again, kind of going back to what you talked about is we all 
are on our own journeys and we all have our own history and we all have our own personalities and our own ways of dealing with things. And so it really becomes about honoring the individual who is needing support. Right. And saying, what is it? And then a lot of times they don't know in the moment what they need, but what is it that you need? And so then it becomes, would you like to talk privately in, a, in, a, in another room? Or do you want to yell and scream about it and cry? And Or do you need to be surrounded by family? Or do you need just some isolation in a journal? And it, it truly becomes about what, what that individual needs. And, it, and that's what I do as an interventionist is start ferreting out what, what does this person needs by, you know, questions you ask and, and just the observation. Um, I am very much a people observer and I kind of always was, but I've learned that those techniques and those things, I can you know, read people incredibly well. And so we, you know, we teach some of those activities on how to, how to manage and how to look. And you've got a type A personality that's leaning up over here at the funeral and just sitting there going, yep, I'm good. I'm good. How do we approach that person? Cause they're really hurting. It's yeah. the ones that are screaming and crying that I go, you know what? They're going to be okay. I can actually, but that one over there that's really quiet and not doing anything and acting like it's all good. That's the one I'm really concerned with. Yeah. So it's really kind of an interesting, you know, uh, situation. And, and I love what everything's different and it's really bad to say, I love going into these things, but that's what inspires me because I know that I can bring hope. Yeah. I can make sure that they're not nearly in the amount of pain that those siblings will still come out of that as siblings in a relationship that those best friends will stay best friends, not immediately irrevocable, you know, damage done by how they talk to each other in the midst of this crisis. Right. Yeah. Again, beautiful. And I want to thank you for sharing your, your story and um, yes, and just honor it. And um, yeah. Very. Yeah, on my, on my website, I kind of go through some of the story and the history of, of how we do some of those things and why we do some of that and, and give away a lot that's on my, on my website. Lots of videos and FAQs and resources and my podcast and all of that kind of stuff, too, to help people. You know, I, I want to go just honor one another and talk yeah. to each other. And, and it's okay to say, I don't know how to help you. Is, is there something I can do that can help you? And, and how do we ask those questions in a way that that person can actually respond? Because they're not capable of responding. But how do we, how do, we do that? And it's, and it's okay to say, I don't know. Right. But we live in a society that says, well, you should know or figure it out. It's like, well, it's okay to say, I don't know. And a lot of times that person says, I don't know either. It's like, great. So let's sit here on the floor and just, I don't know together. <laughs> and that's okay too. Oh. And you know, I wrote a blog piece about this, I don't even know how long ago, about watching my therapy dog, Sammy. And I, I work in schools, I, we volunteer in schools one day a week. And we had gone to the school one day and a, a previous co-worker, a teacher had died and all of the teachers and staff were going to the funeral. And so they had substitutes come in to take over for those few hours but they asked me to walk down to the office with Sammy, our Labradoodle, in tow. And when we walked in, I just learned so much from Sammy about how to respond to grief in that moment. Because mm -hmm. she, just exactly what you were just explaining, and again, I got goosebumps because it's just beautiful, is that there was the, the first person she came in contact with who just, you know, 
got down and just hugged on Sammy and just loved her and just absorbed this energy of this dog that's, you know, she's so calming. And Sammy's tail was, you know, wagging, wagging. And then, uh, you know, somebody else came up and was like, oh my gosh. And they were chipper and happy and loving on Sam and petting her head. And then there was the person standing over in the corner who caught my eye. And I just kind of slowly walked in that direction. And all Sammy did was just lay her head against this person's leg. Mm -hmm. And this person was standing there, arms crossed, like you said, and their hand just went down. And I got so emotional and they just touched her head. And the two of them had this moment that was so healing and so powerful. And I was like, all right, this is what this is about. (laughs) Perfect example. I couldn't um, have done it better. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about is being able to read that those emotions. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's very powerful when, when you're trained enough to be able to recognize that. And as a human, I mean, dogs are the perfect example. We, we've got a couple of healing dogs. I don't, but I have a couple of friends and other chaplains that have healing dogs that do that type of, that's what they're called to do. We, we did a, um, a group of us did a school at uh, elementary school. There was a, unfortunately a child had run out to greet its mom and got hit by a car in front of the school. Oh my God. And we ended up having a whole bunch of us go to the school and how do we help this, you know, these people. And, and, and not only you had the kids, which everybody was worried about, but then we were trying to have a, you know, a staff meeting and, and it was just, every, and the best thing was to have, you know, the dogs there. And, um, we had one that was in training that came and it was great because, um, they, she went out to the playground where the dog could be a little more, you know, <laughs> all over the place right. and ended up, taking her out the leash and just checking the ball. And the kids just kept sat there for hours and just checking the ball on the dog. We go get it. Um, I did learn very similar for dogs, but it is very true for people as well is that you can only take so much of that and the dogs need to be removed yes. to rest, right. to yes. recoup, to be able to re-energize and flush off that yeah. so that they could go and do it again. And self-care in this type of business is so important. Oh. Um, we talk about self-care and it kind of gets this really red wrap. Oh yeah, I have to go to a self-care conference. I have to go to this self-care thing. And it's like, really? So I, I, I talk about, you know, it's ministering to yourself and, you know, that ministry presence. And so try to change it a little bit to get people to listen a little bit more, but it's so important. And if you don't put those things in place, then you're going to be able to do one or two and, and you're not gonna be able to do it again. And, and if that's really what you want to do, then it's, it's difficult. Right. Very cool. Well, to go back to uh, the bridge for a minute. So what, what building materials do you um, utilize in helping people either build the bridge, cross the bridge, stand on the bridge? A lot of it is acknowledging. We kind of talked a little bit about acknowledging where they are. And one of the things, because when you're in the middle of that trauma, the crisis, your immediate thing is, no, this is not happening. I am not doing this. I, no way I'm not going here. And the fact of the matter is you're already there. Yes. So it's like gently going, I'm sorry, honey, but you're here. Your brain's like, and no. (laughs) Right. And it's going, but no, and, and they'll have arguments. I mean, I've had, you know, the screaming match with these people. And people will watch me going, why is that interventionist yelling? 
it's like going because the person is kind of yelling and I have to get their attention. And later on, that person I was working with, and we were speaking very loudly, I don't want to say yelling, but um, he came back later and goes, you were the right person to come and find me. And I'm like, going, because that was just kind of his bold attitude, you know, I'm like going, well, good. <laughs> um, but it's, it's acknowledging where they are and trying to meet them where they're at and realize this is real. Yeah. So acknowledging the event, acknowledging their response to the event and saying, it's all okay. So if you want to, you know, sit here and punch a pillow, then great. Um, I, I will bring tissues along and it's not necessarily to wipe the eyes because I don't ever want to tell somebody to stop crying. I would never tell them. So I don't voluntarily, here's a tissue when someone's crying. Right. Um, what I will do is I'll take the tissue and I do the mirroring exercises is giving them um, an opportunity to start tearing it up. And we find this, um, I, I had an autistic child whose father unfortunately had committed suicide in their front yard. And he didn't understand. He was about 22 years old, um, severely autistic and had some other um, mental health issues. And he saw the fire department come. And so we just assumed because the fire department heals and takes care of everybody, that daddy was fine. Um, we allowed him to go to that direction, but because of his autism and he couldn't be touched, it was a very unique situation trying, how do I help him? Well, it was dinner time and everybody else is going crazy. But if we don't keep this kid on his schedule and get him something to eat right now, he's going to really lose it. Yeah. And so I made the kid his meal. I mean, I don't know these people from anything, but I'm there. Made the kid the meal and I asked him if I could sit next to him. He says, no, you can't sit there. I'm like, what? Okay. Because I'm asking permission every single time. And I had to make sure, where does it go on your plate? So I had him come over and help me put his plate together. And in asking that permission, meeting them right where they are. And when I asked him if I could sit down at the seat and he said, no. And I said, can I sit that seat? He said, yes. And people were looking at me like, well, I'm, you know, it's, it's like, really? He goes, well, because that's where dad sits. Uh, and it's just knowing those little things. So meeting them where they are is really important. And then he was saying, you know, starting to go over about missing dad and dad's supposed to be here. And I said, but don't you eat sometimes when daddy's not here? He goes, well, yeah. And I'm going, well, that's one of these times. So finding out where they're actually at, um, <clears throat> the, the, grandmother in the situation was just irate and over the top and just hysteric was her son. Um, oh. but I had to take her aside, physically take her aside to get her away from him and meet her. Away. Yes, this happened. Why did he do this? And I said, I don't know if there's going to be a reason we'll, we'll try to find out, but we may never know. And right. sometimes that's the worst is not knowing, but getting them to go, okay, yes, he did do this. And letting them experience where they're at right then and come to the realization that this is truly happening in a loving, giving, supportive way. And that's the hardest part. And that's where that first secondary emotional trauma can take place um, is by telling someone that their loved one has died or you're in an office and you're going, you've been laid off. And they come home and go, I was the sole breadwinner. What do I do? I have no, I have no other means. We live paycheck to paycheck. How are we going to help that person? Right. I don't know yet, but let's sit down and figure this out. What are some things that we can do right now? And going, yes, it does suck. It <laughs> is the worst day of your life. It is, you know, don't try to argue with them. Right. You know, no, it's honoring um, again. Again, what keeps popping in my head is you're honoring their journey. You're honoring right. 
you're allowed to be angry. It's a human emotion. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be in disbelief. Right. It, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And, you know, I get, of course, um, particularly when I show up in my, my, my chaplain uniform here, um, you know, it's why God, why would God do this? Right. And I'm like going, don't know. I'm not God. He goes, well, I'm mad. I said, you have every right. And you'd be mad at God too. That's okay. He's a big God. He can take right. it. Right. You know, that's a little sort of things. I mean, even Jesus got mad, you know, he flipped over all the tables. That's and right. then, you know, the it's okay. You know, he used the whip. It's like, it's righteous anger. It's fine. Oh, wait a minute. It's, it's okay. Cause he already knows how you feel. So tell him you want to have a screaming match with him. Go right ahead. Let's have it. And I will start them if that's the journey that they want to do. And kids, they'd like to draw pictures. Um, we had a boy that wanted to chuck rocks. And so said, well, we can only do that in a very safe situation. So we ended up finding some, you know, there was a pool noodle. And so I went in the kitchen and grabbed a knife and I started cutting up this pool noodle. <laughs> start chucking these. And we started throwing them at them, made a little water thing because I don't want to create any permanent damage. Although the noodle, the mom said it was okay. Right, right. But, um, you know, started chucking these things. And you know what? The kids, so, and, and I found out later on, because sometimes I'll get, um, they don't remember me. They don't know who I am. And that's okay. That's fine with me. That's great. Um, sometimes they find me, um, either through the internet or, or somebody asking somebody or somebody, um, got a letter that this kid now, whenever he was angry, or upset, he would go grab this bag of chunks of pool noodle oh. and he would go chuck these and it became his therapy. And when he get home from school, mom knew, Oh, he's chucking noodles. Let him be for a half an hour. And then he'd come in and he, he could talk about it. So it's like, wow, thank you, Lord, for, you know, creating an opportunity that, you know, gave somebody some help and, and know what they can do with themselves right then and there. So it's amazing what happens through some of this journey, these processes that take place. Yes. Again, beautiful. And they, and I, just the, the honoring of, of where they are. Uh, that's what just keeps coming back. And it, I just absolutely love it. So I want to look at my notes here and see if there were a couple, you've touched on so many of these um, points that I wanted to talk on ripple effect of our actions. That was one of the other things that I wanted to talk about um, that, yeah, was on our highlight notes. Yeah. The, the ripple effect, I, I, I have an entire module. I talk about the ripple effect. Um, and we live in a society that's kind of, you know, about me or it's about that incident. So let's, I, I use the example of 9-11. So the people that were in the towers, that's the center of the issue, right? That's the, that's the crisis center. That's the event center. So those people are number one affected. But as it ripples out, all of New York, right? Just like that cloud that dissipated, it's people are being affected. And the closer you are to the event, the more painful or the more acute it is. What happens is, is that now I live in San Diego, New York and San Diego, farthest part, you know, right. across the United States, right? But I was traumatized in a way going, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And we all were, I mean, the whole world oh, was yeah. traumatized over it, right? Right. My, my husband worked in high rises downtown. Well, the first thing they did was what they canceled all airlines. So there was no flying anywhere and people were stranded all over the place. So those people were at Epic Center. It just continues to ripple out, but he was, um, all the high rises were shut down and people were all sent home. And so that's that, that ripple effect. I don't have a right though to go to somebody in New York and say, I understand how you feel. Right. Cause I don't have a clue. 
and it would be inappropriate. Same when um, someone dies, the wife of the surviving spouse has got that first impact. The second ripple out is going to be his sibling. I mean, not his siblings, but I mean his children, maybe his mom, maybe his siblings. And then it goes to the friends. And there's this ripple effect that takes place. What happens sometimes is you've got the friend that's out here on the third level comes in and inserts themselves into the middle. I'm in just as much pain as you are. You don't understand. This was my best friend. This was my coworker that we were so close with. And I know exactly how you're feeling. And that's not true. And we have to honor that ripple. And so when I talk about the ripple thing is find out where you are within that ripple. I didn't even belong in the middle at my sister's. And I made a lot of mistakes. We all did. I mean, that's, that was me coming up with, you know, in, in designing Seeking Hubs. I made so many mistakes in the beginning because I was in the middle. I was with my mom the whole time. I never said I, I understand where you feel, but I, I had a, another sibling, you know, get on me. You don't belong in the middle of this. You have nothing to do with this. This, isn't, this shouldn't be with you because we had a merged family. Right. And so it was oh. like, okay, well, that didn't make sense. And I'm going, but I'm worried about this person and how they're doing. And so there's this friction that happens and you need to figure out where you belong in that ripple. Right. And don't insert yourself into places where you do. So I always talk about pain flows out and support flows in. So if you're at level two, you offer support to level one. You may complain to level three all you want. And you can have your crying and your fit and your pain and let it flow out and honor where you are in that situation. But don't direct it inward into the middle of the center of the, the event. It needs to go outside. And so that's when we talk about that ripple effect that it takes place. I have no right to call somebody in New York um, and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is going on. I understand how difficult this is for you because I don't. And it would be inappropriate for me to do that. So I didn't complain to my mom and to my dad and to the siblings about my pain, about the situation of my sister. I called my friends. I complained to my husband. And then I continued to find support because that's kind of my role in my family. Um, I guess my personality kind of shows that, that I'm kind of that take charge kind of person. Um, so people always call me to take care of things. Then I take care of things and it's like, oh, I'm doing too much. And it's, it's a whole chaotic right, thing. Right. But, uh, you know, it's that love-hate relationship there. Yeah. Um, but, so I never complained to them. I always complained out. And I went, wow, why am I feel like this is working? And so analyzing some of that as I learned to be a crisis interventionist and started meshing all of those things together, I realized what really needed to take place. And that's where I came up with the ripple effect and figuring that out. Does that help answer? Yeah, yeah. My bit? my brain's only twisted because I think, you know, we find we find connection with others through our stories, right? And yeah. so, particularly in the world of trauma, let's just talk about, you know, maybe like like ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. So yes. these adults who, um, or even like an adult children of an alcoholic, um, there's there's a connection. And so, while we may not be you know, in that particular person's exact, you know, their number one position in, in their traumatic event, we can relate because we've yeah. been through the, not the exact same event, but a very similar event. Um, that, that's where the empathy versus sympathy comes into play. You can truly empathize with them because right. you have similar experiences 
and you get it. But by honoring them going, yes, I had something similar happen, but I can't understand exactly where you're at, but I'm here to support that and get the general idea of the pain you must be in. And when you say something like that, it's like, like, okay, because I'm willing to talk to somebody who's experienced the same things that I have. Um, My ACEs score was off the charts. I came from a very dysfunctional home. Um, And that's why I talk about one of the things I talk about is resilience. So I have the people that come to class take the ACEs exam and then I take a resilience exam side by side. (laughs) So why am I a eight out of 10, which is off the charts outrageous. I'm right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 when I read your bio and my bio went, (laughs) okay, yeah, I think we're going to be fast friends here. Right. Um, But I also score an eight out of 10 on resiliency. Yeah. So that's, you know, I didn't find the resilient factors in my home, but I searched for them and found them outside. And so because of that, then we can be that type of person that can walk alongside somebody in their worst thing, in their trauma, in their experiences, um, that they get it. I've had trauma too. So let's, you know, kind of in, in, and I can speak to some of those things. If I'm talking to um, a group, um, I love to do women's conferences. Um, one of my favorites. Um, although I get along really good with the guys conference. I'm usually like the only female in a group of men and I'm talking to them and they're like, yeah, she can stay. You know, (laughs) I I was raised in that. It's like going, yeah, no, I'm a girl, but you know, I'm here. Um, so what happens when you get, when you raise all boys too? Um, but the whole part of, of looking in and feeling that, um, understanding that I mean, I know exactly what you're going through, you know, um, sexual assault. I, I can't akin to the rape victim, but I can account to being sexually assaulted. Right. So okay. It, it, it's that kind of thing. So my empathetic ability to be able to talk to them rather than being that sympathy where I'm, I'm so sorry that this is happening to you. And I'm so sorry. It's like, I don't have a clue. You know, you try, but right. because I've had all of these experiences, which is also, you know, it gets you in a lot of trouble, right? Right. <laughs> because you have all these experiences and you feel like you can talk to people. And, and that was kind of the mistakes that I made because I had, you know, all of these you know, abuse and neglect and uh, assault and, 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 you know, divorce and alcoholic mother and, you know, all of these things that have happened. Um, I can speak to them, but I didn't know how to speak to them in the right way yeah. to make sure I empowered the other person to build them up rather than just me saying, well, I'm right there alongside you. It's like, well, I don't need you right there alongside me. I need for you to, you know, know that you get yeah. me, but that to help me pull me up. And that's what I have learned over this process in these years and then finally building Seeking Hope was me learning those tools and those traits and those, and those tricks to be able to say, hey, yeah, I've had some really bad experiences too. Um, not like yours, but I, I kind of get maybe where you're, where you're at right now. And my story is not important here, but I, I kind of, I think I can help you. Yeah, I love it. All right. Yeah, makes sense. And I get it. Yes. All right. I'm going to ask you, I told you, I said new year, new ideas. So I have 50 podcast questions that I want to throw out. And so pick a random number between one and 50. Well, let's see. Um, If I add together the numbers of my, my, my life scripture, which is Proverbs six, three through five, um, I get 14. All right. 14, 14 it is. Name your favorite teacher. So who's been your favorite teacher in your life? 
Oh, my world. Um, <laughs> my favorite teacher. Well, uh, besides my savior. Um, right. See, and I was going to say, you can say Jesus. I mean, I was going to say, he, it's my savior. I mean, holy moly. I mean, I try to go through all the teachers and all the grades. I'm like going, yeah, but the one I've learned the most from, of course, is my savior. And because he forces me to grow um, and learn by the experiences and those kind of things. And, and I always, I, he's always with me. And I feel like right. that's constantly um, ongoing and, and pushes me beyond my, my comfort zone and my limits. Yeah. Well, as soon as I read it, I was like, she's going to say that. I like, I just, I knew it because I, it, and then, yeah. So I'm glad you did. <laughs> I'm trying to really think of something. I went, Oh, just go with where your, where your heart's at. <laughs> exactly. You know? That's why I love this. Cause I'm like, go with the gut. Yeah. So, <laughs> so how do people get a hold of you? So um, the thing about that, I try to help people understand about seeking help. It is, it is, uh, I'm a speaker um, and an educator so I don't necessarily, you can't call me to show up in Indiana on a, on a scene. Um, I mean, I would love to do that. Um, I just don't have the, the foundation, the resources to be able just to, to fly all over the place and do that. Um, but I want to teach people how to care for others in your own situation. And so um, get on seekinghope.com. There is a speaker bio that you can go ahead and fill out if you'd like me to be a speaker at your next conference or um, a small event, a church group. Um, the other thing is that I like to teach people how to do this, really. So I can do motivational speaking and give people hope, but there's also the teaching of what are the practical aspects. So one way to do that is I have what I call the beginner phase. It's like if you ever do anything right, do these three things and never do these three things. Okay. And there is a video online series on my website at seekinghope.com. You just go to the store and it'll be right in there. Um, and then that's also where you will find the executive level of having me come out and teach at whether it's a school, um, PTAs, PTSAs, those kinds of things. And then they actually get the package of the online as well as me coming out and speaking and teaching. Awesome. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, I have a four hour class, an eight hour class, um, and then actually can help organizations build their own thing. But on my website, seekinghope.com, you can go in there and check that out. There's also a lot of great free stuff that's uh, questions asked that people come up with and ask these questions. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. I should probably respond to that and put it out there. Awesome. All right. So anything that we did not touch upon that you, you wanted to address? I can't think of anything at the moment. I've just had such a great time getting to know you and being able to talk about our hearts and trying to offer support and help and healing to everybody out there. I'm available social media, Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, so check it, check it out and ping me questions in the Facebook and I will, I will send information back. Awesome. Well, it's been a joy to have you here with me. Thank you for sharing your story for all you are doing to shine the light of hope into the world. And um, yeah, it's just been a pleasure. It has been an awesome pleasure. I love the healing place too. That is amazing that we're all just trying to bring a spot, a light, something, a healing place where we all can come to and offer that hope. And thank you so much for all that you are doing. Oh, thank you. I make my heart happy. So <laughs> good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on the healing place podcast. And remember until next time, be gentle with yourself. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Thank you so much for listening today to the Healing Place podcast with your host and trauma warrior, Terry Welbrock. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about Terry, her mission, and the Hope for Healing journey, visit Terry's website at www.terrywellbrock.com. Thank you for liking, commenting, sharing, and offering your reviews on our YouTube channel, audio outlets, and Facebook page. And as Terry reminds us, until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. I would like to take the opportunity to send a huge thank you to John Welbrock and Denver Auto Shield for their generous donation towards the Healing Place podcast, fiscal sponsorship through Fractured Atlas. Thank you so very much for believing in this healing space. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor and donor for the Healing Place podcast, just visit my website at terrywalbrock.com and you will find a link on any of those pages. Again, thank you so much for believing in this healing space and supporting it. Take care.